Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Are you there? Yeah. Are you there? Yeah. Happy Labor Day. Toot toot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beep beep. Beep beep. Uh, happy Labor Day to you. Happy have you been Labor Day? Yeah, have you been laboring? Mm-hmm. I'm celebrating by doing five hours of podcast today. Oh, really? Yes, yes. Because of the great the great Labor Day podcast, right? <laughs> Nineteen. <laughs> 19 when 1919 yeah. 1919 why 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 even oh, do we celebrate what is labor day john people say it's a violent uh, history what what is labor day they chained uh they chained uh, a, a podcasting factory door closed and there was a terrible fire oh the triangle the triangle short podcast fire <laughs> yeah and all the people a kept lot stealing of the podcast they kept putting podcasts in their pocket on the way out well, yeah, and they were like, you can't, you know, we need to, we, you can't afford guards around the podcast factory. No. So, um, yeah, and then, you know, and then, of course, there was the time when the podcast, the floor of the podcast club fell. Oh, God, that's those, so tragic. Was, was that mostly Italians, John? Was uh, that immigrants? Uh, Italian podcasters. Yeah. Yeah, they were doing, you know, they were doing shows about skiing and fast cars, you know, the things that Italian Americans It's got like. just the, the right to sink and a bounce. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Computer, computers and like Lamborghinis yes. and downhill skiing. The three things that Italian Americans love the most. Wait, wait what are the three things? Uh, I was going to say, well, Ski, it's pretty skiing. common knowledge. Skiing. Is that Northern uh, Italy, John? It's all Italians like That's this. That's like blonde skiing. That's the blonde Italians. Well, there are there are, as we as we both know a lot of blonde Italians, but mm-hmm. I think every Italian, at one point or another, loves to ski. Okay, okay. And then Lamborghinis, Lamborghinis, right? A great a great Italian car, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and computers. Italians love computers. That's not just a stereotype. No, no, no. I think it's. I mean, you know, everything. All stereotypes can be disproved. Supposedly. Uh, when uh, Mario Puzo uh, was getting ready to do The Godfather, he said, look, you can do this. You can talk about the family, but you cannot portray Italian-Americans using computers. Because oh, they're tired really? of that stereotype. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. There would have been protests. Well, because that's the thing. A lot of the they came to our shores. My grandmother came from Russia. Everybody came to the United States, and they knew this was the land where they, they could record audio with a computer. Uh-huh. They wanted uh-huh. to make a better way for their family. Well, I mean, it says right there on the at the foot of the uh, of, of the the Space Needle there in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says, you know, give me your tired, your C plus plus programmers, mm-hmm. your uh, you know, your disenfranchised, yes, who are yearning for uh, some integrity in gaming journalism. Michael Barbero, until very recently, they 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 written miswritten his name on the name tag at Ellis Island. They, they called him Michael Daly Show, and, uh-huh. and they had to change that. And then he's gone back to Barbera because that's his family name. Oh, that's so wonderful. This is not funny. Wonderful. This is not funny. It's not even going <laughs> anywhere. No, no, you know what this you know what this feels like to me? This what? feels like uh, you look nice today. Oh, Except- <laughs> I wish. Except there's not another guy <laughs> who's going to make it sound good. I like to think we invented making things up. Yeah, I think so. You know, before whatever that was, 2000-whatever, you wouldn't get a lot of white guys sitting around making stuff up. You know, three guys making stuff up three like guys? it was facts. That Back then, it was, it was a different time. Back then, the people only talked about computers on podcasts. They talked about Linux. Uh-huh, Linux. Mm-hmm. They talked about distros. Oh, distros. Mm-hmm. They talked about code management and mm-hmm. brackets. 
Mm-hmm. And now today we're, we're finally free. We've we've you know we've shed that, and now now <laughs> it's kind of early. It, it's true though that this has been true since um, since computers became the place where we practiced our culture, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which wasn't that long ago. Not really, no. But the problem is that all of the people that are standing athwart the gate, who are the ones that know how to put things on computers on the on the internet. They're also standing athwart the culture, and they are not cultural people. Let's oh, just yeah. be honest. I'm just going to come right out and say it. Not, they're not, not the, cultural people, the computer people. Not, they're not the first people you want as gatekeepers of the culture. It's, it's you know, that probably is true historically, culturally. I mean, certainly you could look at something like journalism and publishing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Especially publishing, because publishing was a business. It certainly was. It was a business that had its its own uh, needs and its own preoccupations and biases, and uh, but that's that's how the culture got onto paper. It did, Ben. But the but uh, you know uh, to that point, the publishing industry uh, generally hired people to do the gatekeeping jobs, who were in the um, let's call it. The people who have the ability to read family. Okay. Right? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if you were going to have somebody who was going to decide which books were going to make it through the pipeline. I would prefer the people who decide which books we should read are, in fact, literate. Right. Sure. That they would be able to read, might even read the books themselves. Mm-hmm. Or and at least so be, a- that, be able to. In a pinch, they could read if they needed to. Right. But and and I'm not saying I'm not saying that the people standing the computer people standing athwart the culture were necessarily standing there saying stop. Mm-hmm. What they were saying was, do I you know I like this, and so I will help facilitate its presence on the internet. On the other hand, I don't like or don't understand this, and so I'm not going to devote you know my time and energy to it. This isn't this wasn't a conspiracy. This was just the. Well, and you know, I know you don't you don't like to be too culturally relevant, but what you're saying is very culturally relevant. I mean, okay, you know, I I know you like to be a man for all ages. Mm -hmm. Ideally, someone should listen to this program and not know when it was recorded because it exists outside of time. Mm -hmm. Whatever year is in the show is in the show. That's right. But certainly, for a long time, the way that we did interact with the computers was well. It's always been governed by the people who made the functionality and made the interface and made the storage and made the accessibility and all of that kinds of stuff. And for the longest time when you used a computer, it, it felt like it was made by somebody who made computers. Like mm-hmm. there were interfaces that you would have. You're like, you look back at interfaces from the eighties and nineties and go, wow, this, this was designed by like an engineer. This is not designed by a designer. Right. And I mean, if, if we were the sort of program that talked about things that were culturally relevant and thank God we're not, one could also say that the platforms for disseminating information in our age that are at the center of dissemination are being run by computer people yes. who have a real different idea about they, they, you know, they want to make, they want to make the glasses at scale without so much concern for what kind of liquid is in the glasses. Hmm. And they want to be out of that business and not seen as having any responsibility <laughs> for that. Now this could have been recorded in 1967 and it would still be relevant. Yep. Right. And hopefully not in 2,267. Yeah. Because hopefully, I don't know what will happen. I do not know what will happen. Hmm. But definitely we, we have been living through and are still living through an age where 
where um, there are a lot of things that are big and got big and remain big and accessible. And we have practices. Mm-hmm. Our, our, our cultural practices mm-hmm. are somewhat determined by the way we interact with machines. And all of that is determined by people who have, are, who are speaking in a language that is not universal and also um, the, their, their, their prejudices are like Im, embodied in the way the machine is written, in the way the, in the culture is written down, like you're saying. Like mm-hmm. the shape of the glass is determining, is determining so much and the lack of interest in what's inside the glass is just as, um, just as culture shaping. It's not. It's not that they're like, oh, we can only have purple drinks. It's like well, we it's, don't it's care. Not, you can put dirt non, in it. It's not a non-issue. I mean, it's not a non-issue. Precisely. I don't know. Anyway, so here we are on the the, the self-same internet, mm-hmm. being listened to by a lot of those very people. I don't know what to tell you. It's Labor Day. You know what I mean? Anyway, you know this, I mean? Has been, uh, this has been this has been entry zero seven five dot xp three zero nine eight cultural relevancy certificate number three nine zero seven seven. Um, on the Roderick Do you do you guys pick your own topics? You don't have a producer that does that. You do that yourselves, right? One I, of you does, is, is it like the Beatles, the one who mainly gets interviewed? We're talking about John's other uh, podcast, Omnibus. Um, I am anyway. You haven't talked mm-hmm. about it yet, but no, you, but you guys all you seem to alternate episodes where one of you is bringing in a topic and the other one sort of interviews them about it, or in Ken's case, keeps changing the subject and talking about X Men, and and so I'm guessing you guys each pick the topic you're going to go read Wikipedia about, and then you bring that into the other person. That's right. That's right. Uh, if you, I think if you go down because we record two episodes a week and. And Ken's show is on Tuesday. Every Tuesday is a Ken-driven show. Okay. Every Thursday is a John-driven show. Okay. But I bet if you went down and just looked at the lists of titles, knowing what you know about me, and oh, I guess I'm, our, I'm looking at an anarchist cookbook, and I'm guessing that's you. Yeah, right. So, and listeners of Roderick on the Line could go look at omnibus topics and be maybe not a hundred percent, but like seventy percent sure. Oh, I bet you that's a. I bet you that's a Ken. I bet you that's a John. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. Try your luck. Okay. I'm going I'm I'm to scroll down a little bit so that I get out of... Tuesday oh, 30. come on. June 14th, Prison Colon N9 Kuzel? I know. Break. I know. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, now i got to scroll again because that's obviously you. Yeah. Tylenol the- Murders. Uh-huh. William Rufus King. Backyard Blast Furnaces feels very John. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tylenol Murders was too. <laughs> see, now I'm screwed up because I can see the alternation. <laughs> okay, scroll, scroll. Oh, the Washington Generals. Oh. Now that's Ken. Ken oh, the they're thing. using a ladder. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Slack. You can learn more about Slack right now by visiting slack.com. Slack is a collaboration hub for work. Whatever work you do, With Slack, the right people in your team are kept in the loop, and the information they need is always at their fingertips. Teamwork on Slack happens in channels, letting you organize conversations and information around projects, offices, teams, however you're organized. And because everything you need to work is in one place, it is faster and easier to get things done. This is true. With Slack, your team is better connected. So you go, you find out more, you go to slack.com. Now listen... I used to be the email guy, which is to say I used to be the guy that says stop doing so much email. I was that guy. Uh, That's no longer my single-minded drive in my career. But as I sit here today, I can assure you that you're doing too much email. Stop with the email. You get over to the Slack. You go to Slack.com. 
Because for me, this is where Slack is such a terrific tool. With Slack, you're going to save time and increase productivity because all your team's communications live in just one searchable, easy-to-use location. No more interruptions, no more taps on the shoulder to see if you got my follow-up to the follow-up to your follow-up. Slack makes it easy and fun to consolidate the stuff that everybody needs to know about. But this is really important. It also lightens the load by using those channels. Those channels, uh, some, some people only need to know about some things. It doesn't need to go to everybody. So use those channels to communicate with people that just need to know a few, a few little things. And listen, don't tell Slack I said this, but you can make a channel for whatever you want. It could be about the work stuff, but you could also have a Star Wars. You could have a Doctor Who. You could have a World War II movies. Slack is actually really fun to use. They didn't tell us to say that. Now me, I am personally in five, count them, five different Slacks. And Slack is critical for getting my stuff done each week. In particular, it has made planning and releasing my podcast so much more sane. It's more manageable, stress-free, and it is, yes, just fun. And to be honest, I've made a lot of nice friends using Slack. It's a really good place to be. So right now, please, you go to slack.com. You go on the internet, you go to slack.com, and you're going to learn about this collaboration hub for work. Our thanks to Slack for supporting Roderick on the line and all the great shows. <laughs> okay, John, we have yeah. to have that spot right here. Uh, we have to talk for 30 seconds so nobody catches this. Beep, beep, beep. So anyways, uh, it's been a heck of a week here uh, huh? in the lake. Um, oh, every, yeah. <laughs> every, everything is sublime. Uh-huh. And, uh, Banjo pickers are thick Cindy on the ground. Cash Dollar and coming into the theater. And we have a new sponsor. Hmm. And is like it, is spon- it Hot Rise? It's Hot Rise. Ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, I'll tell you about something I like. It's called Hot Rise. How many times has this happened to you? Uh, uh, you can't get a good bake. That's right. Uh, and one of their provisions is there can't be any profanity 30 seconds before or after the ad spot. Oh, I see. So we're we're in the clear. I think we're in the clear. Yeah, yeah. Tylenol murders. Tylenol murders. Got to be fine. Okay, that's but but we haven't. We're going to let another 30 seconds go by. Yeah. Since you said murders murder yeah burgers tylenol burgers our thanks to slack a collaboration hub for collaborating really slack slack pretty good huh oh that's a great thing thank you slack the preppy handbook i had a copy of this of course you did i read and reread it voraciously circa 1981 or two of course you did oh i loved it so much (laughs) i did I would dive so deep on subcultures. I was telling my daughter about this because, you know, she doesn't care about me or my life, but I'm inclined to sometimes tell her about things that are relevant to her age, like what I was doing at the time. That for me was a maybe eighth or ninth grade thing. Mm -hmm. I remember really getting into the novelization of the film, The Warriors, because I wasn't allowed to see the movie. In fifth grade, I was very into The Warriors and Animal House, even though I had seen neither. I am with you 100%. But you can see the commonality there. And it's not just violence against women. It's also that I wanted to be part of a special group. And I think I was obsessed. At one point, I tried to create a fraternity, not really quite understanding what a fraternity was. I tried to create a fraternity in fifth grade. And I was very into the idea of, of having a gang with some kind of branded costumes. Yes, and right. And a cool neighborhood associated with it. Don't fuck with the Wongs. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. All right. You get the baseball furies. Yeah. Uh, there were some kids in my high school. They were they were a grade younger than me, but it, but it, they were like juniors and seniors, and came up with a. They wanted to be in fraternities so bad. Yeah, they couldn't wait to get to the University of Arizona or the University of Colorado. Mm-hmm. They Ch- maybe um, go to go to go to Chino. Yeah, go to Chino. Mm-hmm. Um, so they started a, a fraternity at East High School called te- Get Get Ready. Yeah, 
Buckle up. Okay. It's called Tapa Mega Cake. <laughs> Tapa Cake of Brew. Woo! <laughs> and they put Fly T- Kappa No Consent. <laughs> TMK <laughs> on the back of all their Carhartt jackets, because this is Alaska. Of course. And, uh, you know, big TMK letters, Greek-style letters. And it's the type of thing, God, you look back on, even at the time, it was like, wow, <laughs> that's really too that's really too bad. But now you look back and you're like, oh, sure, right. Like, but did, did they get away olds. with it? Like in in class, could they like talk about it and have gear and get away with it? They were popular boys. Well, that's you know, they, happened they, at they, my high school. We had the, the brew, we had the brew crew, John. Yeah, we had a bunch of boys in bucket hats who drank way too much on the weekends, and they were called the brew crew. They oh, were the kind of crew. allied with the soccer team. Okay, all right. Okay, soccer in Alaska was not that big of a sport, but these guys yes. were all. Um, Hockey player adjacent and downhill ski kids. Mm-hmm. Like rich, they were rich kids. They were the rich kids. All right. The rich popular boys. Mm. And um, yeah, tap and make a keg. Mm. But, but you know, it's little things like that when you realize like, oh, there's a reason that we don't give the keys to young people. Young people are not, they really don't have all the great ideas right away. Right, yeah. you know, they got to work through a lot of ideas before they, they land do. on a really sound, like historically compelling idea. Yeah, I mean, you know, something. And again, this isn't a generalization. No, a lot of a lot of very talented young people who didn't, who never like chained the doors of a of a sweatshop, yeah, uh, closed. But most young people are going to need a little bit more time with those with those ideas before they're really ready for the rest of us to bring, bring them online, you know? Yeah. And I don't just mean online. Mm-mm. I mean, in, in, in the streets, in the streets and in the sheets into the bloodstream of society. Yeah. 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 Right. Clean needles, <laughs> clean needles. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, I'm That's just right. saying, I'm saying you, I mean, you get some toxic water in that glass and who are you going to blame? Jack Dorsey? Certainly not. He just wants free speech. <laughs> Hang on. What? Wait. <laughs> Ta- Tapa Mega Kega. Is that K-E-G-G-A? Yep. K-E-G-G-A. Tapa Mega Kega. And I think some of the dudes in Tapa Mega Kega went to the University of Colorado together. Mm. And I believe that they maintain and they joined actual fraternity. That's UC, not CU. CU. C- it's, right. oh, that's so confusing to me. It is, because it's not Colorado University. It's Wait, I know this. I know this. Not Aurora. No. Where is it? Oh well, it's a the it's University of Colorado system, but mm. University of Colorado itself is in Boulder. Boulder, okay. Is that a party Boulder. school, John? Ah, <sighs> it is. Uh-huh. It is a party school. This but, is not you know. a general. Just so we, this is not a generalization. Once again, we don't really do generalizations on this show. I mean, University of Colorado is a is a storied institution of higher learning. Um, it I had a friend has, who went there, and he became a scientist. Yeah, that's they're very smart. It's not a party school like, mm. like Arizona State or whatever, or any school in Arizona basically, which is just indefensible except for a place to 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 like. They say to, that to, they they say that it just warehouses kids when they can't go to Lake Havasu. Mm. They just go to the school and they stand around. I, I, they stand I you around know what you just Bader Meinhof me. Girl, girls go wild. You Bader Meinhof me just now because is that a, is that a is that a branch campus of an Arizona college university? What Lake Havasu? Yeah, <laughs> I think it should be. Like well, I'm pretty sure I heard break? that as a throwaway joke on uh, like Brooklyn Nine Nine. I think you just Bader Meinhof me. Boom! 
Zip. Lake Havasu is the place where uh, uh, during spring break. See, it's a weird Lake Havasu is not an actual lake. Huh. It's a well. Wait a minute. It is a. It's Turns an actual lake. lake. It's it's a, not a natural lake. That's what I meant to say. Uh, it's a it's a lake with no. There's nothing. There's no nothing redeeming about it. But there's an entire culture of people that have like little flat roofed, sometimes two story houseboaty kind of places huh. where they just. It's very it's very pleasant. The life on them is very pleasant. They're not meant. They're not boats in the sense that they're meant to go fast. <laughs> they're they're. They're slow boats. Yeah. And you've got, it's a great boat to drink all day on. I think that's the primary purpose of those boats is to give you a place to drink all day in the hot sun. Drinking boats. And then they're drinking boats. And then you jump, I think what, and this is just true, I think all year long, you get up on the top of one of these two-story boats, um, you take off your top, somebody gives you some Mardi Gras beads. Okay. Uh, you dance to lavacious, lasciviously to some lavaciousness. Is it what, EDM? Yeah, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, people pour beer on each other, and then you, I guess, jump into the lake and then get back out. I'm, I've never been, so I'm describing a spring break culture that I don't want to, I don't want to appropriate it. I don't, mm -mm. I don't, I don't we know don't, enough don't about do it. Mm -mm. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know, know enough about it to speak really informedly. But I've, you know, I've, it's not like, it's not like this is our first time around the sun. Am I right, Merlin? No, no, no. This is not my first day. So, but talk yeah, about how that, dumb this guy is. I'm talking about this uh, is episode, uh, season five, episode 11. And they say that guy, this guy's real dumb. He's the weak link in the family. They call him the Fredo of the family. His driver's license picture is him on a roller coaster. <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> and he, had, he went to the University of Arizona. And the other guy <gasps> inhales. He goes, Lake Havasu campus. And he's like, my mm. God. <laughs> so, there drinking, it is. drinking boats. I bought her Meinhof game. You Meinhofed me so hard. <laughs> Sorry, I took you off your took you off your boat. I no, don't no, know no. if drinking in boats should really be in the description. That's you know, but you can do some about, bad stuff drinking on a boat. That's what's great about these boats is that they're not fast. You know, if you're drinking on a fast boat, it's a go slow boat. This is just a, this boat just goes put 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 put, and you just putter out into some because it's like what what Lake Havasu is. It used to be a canyon, and so you know under the water there's like a Grand Canyon under there. Hmm. That 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 won't be seen until after the apocalypse breaks all the dams. Wow! So you know that you're there. You've ruined a whole you know you've ruined a whole world. They're like they're like Native American artifacts under a billion gallons of water, and you're up there just drinking Kurz Light mm -hmm. and going crazy. I, they're probably not drinking Kurz Light anymore. Times yeah. have changed. They're slowing sure. down when the silver bullets on your boat. I'm sure they're drinking some kind of Mike's hard cider, whatever it is. Oh sure, that's Zima. like a, that's like a millennium version of like a uh, like a wine cooler, right? I think that Mike's hard cider actually has probably not been popular for 15 years. So I'm making <laughs> I'm making a generational <laughs> reference, like a generational current indie rock like. bands like the Shins. <laughs> <laughs> totally trying to shut them down with Our a music teacher like in college. Whenever, joke. whenever he wanted to sound relevant, he would mention the Talking Heads. Excuse talking me, head. Talking Heads. So he'd be like, "Well, you know, uh, Schoenberg, uh, Stravinsky, all the way to Talking Heads." <laughs> like, well, that's, they're still around. Yeah, yeah, the Talking Heads, all the way to the Talking Heads, all I the went, way down. I went to a music festival this weekend. Really? Uh, the the Bumbershoot Music Festival. Bumbershoot. And you know when they announced the lineup this year, three three straight days of music. Um, everyone in my my culture, 
uh, in Seattle, including all of the people who run the festival and book the festival all in when, you know, cause when the lineup comes out, it's always been a thing. It's not like, um, it's not like the day the new iPhones are released, but mm. in the music business, when somebody, when Coachella releases their lineup or Bumbershoot or Sasquatch or All Tomorrow's Parties, right? Everybody sees it that day. Oh, and so then, they put out that poster with the increasingly tiny text on it, right. and you decide how excited you are, and you also draw conclusions about like what's happening with the festival, right? Exactly. So, so like, with, were there any gets? Like, is there a Beyonce? Is there a I, Shins? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, and when uh, and those big festivals, Coachella's been famous for like bringing bands back from the dead or the bands you never thought you'd see again. Tupac in in like hologram, mm-hmm. all this stuff. I mean, that's all pretty corny. But but uh, you 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 remember old Coachella a couple of years ago where it was like every classic rock band that was still alive. But so Bumbershoot comes out and uh, and it's three days and. Nobody has ever heard of any of the bands. Oh, was it a prank? It wasn't a prank. It's just that... When you say nobody, is that like a Donald Trump nobody? Or you're saying, honestly, like legit people who are up to date and still read oh, Pitchfork? No, no, no. They all know. Okay. I'm talking about all of the people in my oh, subculture. Oh, I hate but, that feeling. But, I hate but that my, feeling. My culture are the people now... What's so great about the festival now is that all of the people that I knew coming up in music are all... They've all they're all 50. And they're all running everything now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I ran into a guy who had who had for years been the door guy at the showbox. Who was just every time I'd show up at the showbox, he'd be like, "What's up, man?" And he's got his black T-shirt on and his and he's got his flashlight. And he's super People, friendly. Sometimes guy. you can't imagine they're even still alive, and, but and they've he, got an he, actual like a job with with uh, import. He's been doing that. He's been doing that job forever. And he's, you know, it, he's a super wonderful man. And the only reason he's a door guy is that he just happened to be born did mm-hmm. six foot seven and 290 pounds. Mm-hmm. And just, so just as God just, made him. That's right. And so he's just somehow he, he, one time he walked in the door of a club and somebody stopped him and said, would you just keep standing at that door and mm-hmm. keep trouble out? And he was like, sure. Now scowl. <laughs> so for, 20 years he's been doing that job. Well, so I'm, I'm walking across the festival grounds, and I see him sitting at a table, and he's wearing civilian clothes, which I'd never seen him in. I've, known, I've been friends with this guy forever. Never seen him in a shirt with a collar. Hmm. And, I, and he sees me, and we, we like stand up and, you know, big, big, like, American hug. And I'm like, what are you doing in this shirt? It's got a collar on it. And he was like, dude, I'm not doing security anymore. And I, and I said, that's great. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm in charge of ticketing for the whole festival. Wow, that's a lot of responsibility. Well, not only that, but like, it's 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 wonderful, right? He's been in the rock business forever, and people in Seattle take care of each other. Like, in the music scene here, it's it really is a family. We really do take care of each other. And at a certain point, instead of finding some kid right out of college to do the ticketing, they were like, this guy is great and he's smart and, and he's somebody doing, somebody we can trust. And he's somebody, you know, he's like family. Let's just, you know, let's make this transition and now he's got benefits, he's got a real job, he's doing like things that are that are that are interesting and and so the so the whole festival is like that. The head of production is somebody that I you know, I'm like super That's close so with interesting. The, the guys that are doing the creative work, but also the people that are doing the technical stuff like we, and we all have known each other for decades. So it's like, right, exactly. This is exact. Like they're 
corporations have let us down. The world has let us down. But we have like we've the, every single one of these people at one point or another stapled a flyer for their band up on a telephone pole in 1992, and now they they all have like they've built it. They built a real thing. But when you get us all in a room and say, have you heard of any of these bands? Even the person that is booking the bands, who's a good friend, and we talk about him on the show, and sometimes he listens to the show. He's like, I mean, I've heard them because I had to hear their music in order to agree to have them be on the concert. But I have no, I have no actual idea like who they are. I know they're popular and their music is good-ish. And but so would I'm you walking, would you be able to pass like a like a haha test like a like a late night comedy show kind of test where would you I, I I know I could be very easily bamboozled if somebody read me a list of names and I was supposed to say whether that was a band or not I could not pass it oh not at all because now a lot of bands don't even have vowels in their names oh that's difficult their, their names are just like Smizdrick. And you're like, what the fuck is Smizdrick? Is that a is that a rock band or a hip hop band or a, a, a EDM band? What is it? And it's like no indication. Forget it, Grandpa. S M Z D R J. Look it up. Yeah, right. It's Dutch. But so so I walked around the festival. I spent the I spent the weekend just kind of popping into shows and 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 checking them out. It was like, okay, Smizdrick is next. Like, let's go check it out. And uh, and. Obviously, like a lot of great music, a lot of great music that I would not, that I'm just, I am just not keyed into what's going on. Um, and a lot of stuff where I was just like, all right, all right, you know, it is, you know, like I'm sure if you had walked around an indie rock festival in, in 2002 without a knowledge of the subculture, most of the time you'd be like, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, Mates of State. I didn't know what that was, but it's good. I know that band. Uh, yeah, Mates of State. They used to live in my neighborhood. They're wonderful. Yeah! <laughs> yeah. That's my, that's my um, very few syllable impersonation of Mates of State. <laughs> Want to hear it again? <laughs> that doesn't yeah! Even <laughs> I guess that's one syllable. I think they're, they're siblings. Anyway, go mm-hmm. ahead. Not siblings, married. Married. Oh, well, you know, it's hard to tell in San Francisco. Smidzerick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so it was a really, it was, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful weekend. It was, you know, the festival's well run. There's a, there's a lot of controversy in Seattle now because, um, because the company that employs all these people is actually a national company run by a man from Denver. Mm-hmm who is an old guy from Denver that started a big company that books festivals and owns stadiums and all such. And he is a Republican. And he, oh, he gives money to that's Republican. That's into a lot of stuff right now. You got yep. the Microsoft guy. You yep. know what I'm saying? You got the In-N-Out Burger. You got the yep. Marvel guy. There's a lot of ding-a-ling spending money out there. And so he is like an unapologetic. Did you see that about Paul Allen? Did you see that? I did see it. All right, moving on. I did see it, and we can talk about it's very it. Very upsetting. It Please continue. Made me, it made me not very uh, pleased because that's not who we thought he was. Mm-hmm. But as a, as the great writer in the sky said, if you uh, if you make a bunch of money, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna put that money with the people that are gonna that are gonna if help you make, make more of that. If you make a bunch of money, 
You're gonna mm-hmm. put that money with the people who represent you, even if it hurts the others and others, others' mothers. You're gonna put the money on them. Well, you started a company with Bill Gates, and everything pretty much turned out great. You bought a van and you bought some spray painted shoes, and now you're gonna give our country the blues. Hey, everybody yeah. said give the money to them. <laughs> This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash supertrain. With Squarespace, you can create a beautiful website to turn your cool idea into your own website right there on the global internet. You do it with the internet. You can showcase your work. You can have a blog or publish other kinds of content. You can have a gallery of images or videos. It's Squarespace. You can sell products and services of all kinds. You can do that right in there. You can promote your physical or online business. If you have an e-business or a brick business, they don't care. It's Squarespace. And you can announce a, 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 your thing. If you've got a, an event or a project, you put it on the Squarespace. It's Squarespace. They do this by giving you beautiful templates created by world-class designers. They offer powerful e-commerce functionality. let lets you sell anything online right on your global uh, internet site. The ability to customize the look and feel, the settings, the products, any of that. You just got a few clicks. That's it. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. So your website is going to look great on every device and dingus. They have a new way to buy domains. You can choose from over 200 domain name extensions. And of course, they have analytics that help you grow in real time and built-in search engine optimization. This is free and secure hosting with nothing to patch or upgrade ever. You just go make a site with Squarespace. If you ever have a problem, not a problem. You got 24 by 7 award-winning customer support. You go, Squarespace, squarespace.com slash supertrain, Squarespace. Now, here's the thing. If you're listening to this podcast right now, and I I assume that you are, this is an episode of a podcast, I think it's 303, Uh, you're listening because of Squarespace. That is where Roderick on the line lives. It is our cyber home on the internet. The audio audio file lives there, the images, the show notes. Uh, When we get done recording this, I'm going to be putting this up on Squarespace, and it's going to take me about 10, 15 minutes to get the whole thing up. It's that simple. I couldn't do that on my own. I wouldn't want to do that on my own. I'm not a technologist anymore. I'm a a phony award-winning podcaster, Squarespace. So here's what you do. You go to squarespace.com slash supertrain. You're going to get a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the very special offer code supertrain. That'll save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain, Squarespace. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. Now you're a bill and you're always a bill and you're sitting there on Capitol Hill. Well, now I'm off to committee where the process is fucked. Now this sponsor did not have a specific admonition uh, against cursing, so we'll see how that goes. Oh, okay, great. Build it beautiful. (laughs) um oh so uh so anyway everybody in seattle that is on the that's part of the political spectrum now that doesn't believe um well there is a political there in america there's always been this political tendency and it's really popular right now on both the right and the left which is to say uh we don't have any ideas about what (laughs) We're going to build. We just think that the world would be better if we tore everything down. We know what we're mad about, but we you know we don't have any solutions. We're super mm-hmm. mad about it. Mm-hmm. And if we just if we just destroy that's our it. campaign, that's our campaign slogan for eighteen and twenty. It's one syllable. <laughs> if we just break it, if we tear it down, it's if we ruin it, if we, if, 
if we break every single thing, mm-hmm. then I'm sure what will come up out of the ground with no plan at all will just be great because the natural it's a, it's a impulse, kind of terraforming. Yeah, the natural impulse of people is to only build beautiful things, and they're and those people are kept down by the man. So if we destroy the man, <laughs> then the beautiful things will grow out of the ground, Merlin. Hmm. Big flowers and cultural wonder. We just need to clear out the weeds. Yeah, democracy. We need oh. to drain the swamp. I'll be we need to, but we also need to, you know, eliminate the bad man who's on top yes. of everybody and keeping him down with his boot. Oof. And so there are a lot of people like that in Seattle that are on the liberal side who believe that uh, they don't really have a plan. They right. just want to. They just want to be against everything, and they are against this company because this guy is a Republican, the bit, the big bad guy. Mm-hmm. Well, but what happened when he came to Seattle and started and and took over here was he just bought the Showbox, which was the kind of very cool downtown venue, and he hired everybody that worked there. And he said, okay, you guys are AEG Seattle now. Well, everybody that worked at the Showbox were the exact people that you would want because they were the exact team of people that all knew each other, were keyed into the whole city. They worked on a successful team for years. For years. And it was one they built themselves. And you know, it wasn't it, their first day. It wasn't their first day. I mean, they, they had turned, they were the ones that turned the show box into what, this thing that we, that we value. They were, they were. Is that where we did our show? Our turns out show? That's exactly where we did our turns out show. Okay. That was a nice place. It's great. And it was, and it was reliably always great. I mean, when Death Cab for Q got to a point where they could play the biggest house in the town, the Paramount, uh, they often instead would play four straight nights at the Showbox rather than move up to the big venue. That's cool. So anyway, so what we have now in so the you got city, the guy, he's in Colorado. Yeah. AEG. Yeah, AEG. Mm-hmm. And if you, go, if you Google him, you'll see, you know, all kinds of bad things. But the people in the city who are on the political side want to protest things. They want to picket things. They want to boycott things. Uh, they're really mad uh, that AEG has taken over Bumbershoot because Bumbershoot okay. used to be Bumbershoot when it first started was one of those city festivals that was free and you could come and see like, uh, you know, Mop the Hoople or whatever for free. Bumber, a, is Bumbershoot in the Seattle area? It's in the it's in the center of Seattle. It was the first okay. thing after the World's Fair that where's, where's that Bonnaroo? You, is that like Tennessee or something? Yeah, it's a, it's in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Okay, okay. Which is Murfreesboro isn't a thing. It's just like a it's a wide spot in the road. Oh, it's a constructed town like Celebration. I mean, there no, it, it's not that there was a town there, but it was just a place where moonshiners would get gas. It wasn't a place that would like <laughs> pesky revenueers. <laughs> it didn't have gone it. It's not like Murfreesboro Rock Festival. Go choo choo. But it's beautiful there, Murfreesboro. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. So if that's been were, around. Mott the Hoople. It's been around that long, huh? Bumbershoot. Bumbershoot has it started in 1970. Bobby Horn Who knew? Bumbershoot. So. So there were there was actually an event at Bumbershoot where one of the one of the candidates for mayor, uh, Seattle mayor, last uh, year or yeah last year, one of the candidates was given a forum to speak uh, to an audience at Bumbershoot, uh, wherein she uh, she criticized Bumbershoot. Basically, she got up and and you know tried to get the chant, tried to get the crowd chanting. Mm. 
uh, which is a form, which is actually a form of politics now. And, uh, <laughs> group, and it was group hissing. And it's, it's, it's really hilarious because, you know, you get into those situations. And again, I'm 50 years old. I am not 22. No. So I don't even know what we're protesting oh, now. Gosh. Exactly. Because it changes every day. But they were protesting Bumbershoot at Bumbershoot. And they're not, I don't think they understand that the actual people that are making this thing are like as Seattle as you could be. Okay. Um, uh, but they're protesting it as like, oh, now this comp- now that now our great festival is owned by these outside interests. Mm-hmm. It's like, I guess, man. I guess ultimately the money goes up the chain and it gets to this guy and he gives it to the NRA. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry about that. I really am. But like, you know, please don't make it hard for my friends to put on their rock show. Like, yeah. please, just please, please. But uh, but apparently nobody went to her thing, so it's not that big of a deal. But yeah. Unfortunately, nobody went to see the Fleet Foxes either. Fleet Foxes, that's a band. Yeah. Nobody uh, went to see they, the Fleet Foxes. But they did go to see Portugal the Man, and that was very exciting. Oh, uh, my daughter likes that song. Yeah, a lot of daughters like that song. A lot of people don't understand that Portugal the Man is really a like a <laughs> like a stoner jam metal band. <laughs> a stoner children's <laughs> band. <laughs> They're not a children's band at all. They're like bow. And uh, they got this song that it absolutely sounds like them. They don't. He's it's, he sings like that in all the songs, but it's it's a super pop hit, and so it was wonderful to watch like ten thousand like eighteen year olds really excited to see Portugal the Man, and Portugal the Man played some Sabbath. They played some Zeppelin. Oh wow! Some, they put that must in, be a real mixed blessing when you get famous for a song that's not like your other songs. There are a lot of people that have been called one-hit wonders, where uh, they the, the one song that they they're going to be forever remembered for is really different from a lot of their oeuvre. It's tricky, but these guys have been a band for over ten years, mm-hmm. and they've played and played and played. They're a touring band. They're like road road uh, hard, mm-hmm. and so road hard <laughs> hung up wet. Yeah, they weren't. They but they weren't put away wet. They're still. They're still. They're still, still out there. Still out there. Dry as dry as a bone. But so they're not. They're not susceptible. Like they have each other. They're all from Alaska, and they. Uh, they're. They just. They're loving it. They. They know Wasilla, to play their, Wasilla, Alaska. They're from Wasilla. Wasilla. Uh, they know to play their big hit last. Mm-hmm. That's smart. And, and that in the hour or whatever. Uh, between when they begin and when they play their hit, they can basically play anything. So they played like She's So Heavy by the Beatles. Wow. Uh, they had a very, very long uh, guitar guitar solo portion. Like, they just don't, they don't They're care. It's wonderful it. to watch. They are. They mm-hmm. are. They're mm-hmm. having fun. They're having fun. It was nice. It was a good a good rock festival. I saw Blondie. Which was you the, saw Blondie? The How the much original Blondie? You had like two, two Blondie members, right? You got uh, like, the bas- drummer and her? <clears throat> bass player, drummer, and... Um, and Debbie, and then the guitar player was about our age. Is he still a he super good? A good is he still a super good drummer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The band, the band sounded amazing, and it, and you're reminded like one of they're one of the first bands, the first rock bands to go, you know, like to disco beat it. Oh sure, 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 sure. There was that year. There's that one year. That time yeah. between seventy and seventy nine, where everybody had a disco hit. But but but, 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 but they but, did. They were weird from the beginning. I mean, there's so many ways in which they they got. It's so funny because, like, what is a CBGB's band? Like, arguably, I'm going to say television might be the most canonical one, but all the other ones that get looped in there, they're Ramones. so. Well, yeah, but they're so different. I mean, Ramones, Talking Heads, Patti Smith. 
mean, Patty Smith was working with fucking Blue Oyster Cult. Like she was, <laughs> she was a weirdo. But then put Blondie in there. It's like, what line do you draw apart from appearing in the same place on the planet that has any of those bands doing a similar things? It's so bizarre. Well, yeah, they were take, a power. They were a power pop band. They weren't a punk take, band. Take the top five Seattle '90s bands, and actually, I mean, I guess if you were, <clears throat> if you weren't in rock and roll, you'd listen to them and go like, "Oh yeah, it all sounds the same." But like from within rock and roll, it didn't sound the same at all. Mud no. Honey doesn't sound anything like Pearl Jam. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> but or that band actually, with, the, with the Honey song I like. What's that band called? What's the, the three guys? What are they called? Tastes like honey. No, those guys in the band I like. The guy with the uh, buzzo. What's that? What's that band called? Oh, the Melvins. The Melvins were a good band. They're the. They're Did you ever see? You, yeah, would... you must have seen them live. What the Melvins? Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. On. I live. I live far away. Come on, I still have bruises on my body from seeing <laughs> they the Melvins. Were really good. Did you ever hear the Melvins? <laughs> They're from Wash- I think they're from Washington. I don't know if you ever heard them. Did you ever see the Melvin? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I recall a kind of pie that I had with blueberries in it. Have you ever had a blueberry pie? Houdini, that's that album I like. Honey Bucket, Honey Bucket. That's, that's, a, that's a really good song, that Honey Bucket. You know, Houdini is a great band. Houdini... Is a great band. I, this is the 1993 Melvins album I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a that was a great Melvins. I got record, mixed but... feelings about people naming their band after things in other bands. I'm going to give it to the Beatles; they can have it. But I think a lot of times it's was a little bit frustrating. I'm going to give it to Death Cab because it was very there. That's a very obscure reference. Yeah, in fact, that was the reason that um, that was the reason that Scott McCoy even went to see them in the first place. But Houdini because he's a Neil Innes fan. <laughs> Houdini was a band from 1981. Oh, uh, Houdini with a W. Houdini oh, with a W. Oh, fucking A, right, of course. And he had that cool yes. hat. Didn't he have a cool hat? He had a very cool hat. He had like a, and, like a bullfighter hat. He had a bull, he had a, yeah, a gaucho hat. And gaucho. He, he was the one that explained to us that it's the freaks that come out at night. Uh, the freaks come out? The freaks come out. The freaks come out at night. What about the who said we out. shouldn't park on the dance floor? Who was that? Oh, I don't know. Wasn't that Debbie Harry? Oh, parking baby. No parking on the dance floor. As I was walking over... I like early rap. I like like Jam On It. I still think Jam On It is a very good song. It's a great song. You know, Young MC, that's a very enjoyable sound. Well, also, isn't there... That's not even early rap. But, like, like, uh, who was it? There were those two breakout mainstream... Was it Tone Loke and Young MC? Mm -hmm. But they were produced by, like, the Dust Brothers? Mm-hmm. Am I remembering this right? I don't know. I don't know. That's dust. good though. No, but before Paul's Boutique and before their dust up with the Chemical Brothers over names, I'm pretty sure the Dust Brothers did some uh, did some mainstream production. How many brothers can you have? I don't know. There's generally if it's if it's in hip hop, you got two brothers. Mm. Mm. Well, unless you if it's America, you could have three bad brothers, you know, so well. How many doctors are there in hip hop? One that's actually two that's actually, three. <laughs> A great indie rock lyric. How many doctors will there be? You got doc, you got uh, Doctor Doctor Dre and the other Doctor Dre. There were two mm-hmm. Dre's, Doctors Dre. There was right. the one guy on Yo MTV Raps, and I think eventually he had to accede the name to the other uh, and Andre. Yeah, I mean, maybe he. Ne- it's not like he like took the knee. It's mm. more just that people when they started ta- when they referred to Doctor Dre, they just never meant him. 
According to the Internet Science site, the Dust Brothers developed writing and producing skills, creating music for their show and DJing. Deedly D. 1987, they began writing and producing for Delicious Vinyl. They wrote and produced tracks on Tone Loke's album, Loke After Dark, with a long you knew O. This. Yeah. Young MC's debut album. You, you had it, Merlin. It was there. I got it. It was one. right there. I got it. The- one the Dust Brothers. Then they had they had some kind of mix up with the the, the Chemical Brothers because of the naming. Yeah. Block rocking beats. A lot of doctors, a lot of bigs, a lot of littles. Nowadays, a lot of little. You got little, little now you're little. You used to be you want to be big, now you want to be little. Now you're little. You used well, to be little, little, little Wayne. You're you're young. You're little Jeezy. You're little, little young, you're little. young Jeezy. Young Jeezy. Is yep. he is he little Jeezy now? I don't know. No, Jeezy it's dog young dog. Jeezy and then little Jeezy's cousin. The, but there was uh-huh. there's uh, like little one hundred bucks. There's like <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, tiny bankroll. But, but uh, interestingly, Blondie didn't, did not play her uh, her innovative, cutting edge uh, rap tune where oh, she references yeah. Fat Five Freddy. And maybe they maybe that's too hard to do, or maybe she doesn't do it. Um, maybe it's not as popular now. But as I was walking over there, I was talking to somebody uh, also like uh, a, a a woman uh, who is in her adulthood. Does she have a and certain like, age? She's yeah of a certain age. I don't think that you say that about uh, women who are about who are younger than me. But we're not, not allowed that to call them younger. dowagers. No, 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 no. She's just a she's, she's you know a, what she's she a lady. Is? You know she is. She's a foxy gal. She's mm-hmm. a she's a she's an age appropriate gal for me. Let's let's say. Wow. And uh, she said, I said, and I'm going over to see Blondie. You want to come over? And she was like, well, you know. Hmm? I said, what? What? How? How do you have anything other than? total two thumbs up feelings about blondie what are you doing instead of blondie and she said "Eh, they were always a little too punk for me (sighs) and i was like whoa that is not a thing i ever thought i would hear but there's there are people my age or a little younger who still feel like blondie is a little too punk sunday girl hanging on the telephone Mm. denise denise come on these are pop songs they're basically a french pop band yeah, you just want, they make you want to roller skate, but not. But that's the thing, or, uh, Merlin. You and I are, you know, you're, we're very, uh, we're very edgy. Well, you and me. I mean, by the time we knew what punk rock was, and it was featured on shows like Quincy, you you would you would look at a band even like Blondie, and you go like, well, yeah, the Clash. We'll let them be punk rock, whatever that means. But the Clash Blondie, is a reggae band. Let's just establish. Yeah, that. yeah. They they needed an editor. <laughs> ah, yes don't you think yeah. yes don't they you did. think they could have used a mate oh they could have used a friend or you know what they yeah. needed they needed bill barry bill barry just say we're not going to do that i'll well, quit yeah, i'll do right. it now he holds the drumstick <laughs> to his head <laughs> i'll do it i'll do it no you're not using those lyrics this is not a good song no <laughs> no one ever i think bill barry was the genius of the band i really do i think he was the he was the one i don't there know there should be if, some laconic character in the band that everybody wants to impress yeah, Bill Barry could. The thing is, he'd raise an eyebrow on the whole uh, whole wall of the. Boy, building he had good that. taste. He had such good taste. Did he had good eyebrows too? He had terrific eyebrows. I think he's on the cover of one of those records. Uh, Dust Brothers also did. Uh, they did Beck's uh, Odelay. Beck kept coming up in conversation, and they week. did Mbop by Hanson. They did Mbop. Mbop. That's also the Dust Brothers, which are not the Chemical Brothers. Mbop. Mbop. Yeah, I don't know why. I, say I had a crush why. on that kid. The Mbop kid? Yeah, well, not a crush. I mean, I was a 30-year-old man. But I, that video got real popular, and I said to the other guitar player in Bacon, I said, have you seen that, that video with, with the Hanson? It's Mbop. like, I know it's not right, but that girl's pretty cute. He's like, dude, that's totally a dude. 
Uh, and I was like, wow, this is really so much more awkward than I could have imagined. Busted. Hanson's an example of, uh, you know, like three brothers where one of them yes. at the time was really pretty. Yes. One of them was not at all pretty. And one of them was just cute. But now they had a look, condensed Osmond situation going on. They did. If you, you look remember at what the Osmonds now, looked like, do you remember the way the Osmonds looked that weren't those two Osmonds? Oh, I don't know. I, I, my eye blotted them out. It was like some kind of a terrible genetic uh, experiment. Well, it's true of the, to the Jacksons, too. They're not all beautiful. No, and they were but, a lot older. They weren't nearly as but cute. If you, if you look at Hanson now, Hanson you'll now. find that, that, the, um, that the one that was awkward looking has really grown into his looks. Oh, my goodness. They look like, and, the, they look like the Bee Gees now. Yeah, they look like the Bee Gees. And the one that was beautiful <gasps> has kind of like... What also, happened to that little girl? Look at that. He's also grown into just being a normal guy he looking. He looks thing. like he should be in a band from New Zealand. Doesn't he? Doesn't he they look like he do. should be a crowded house? They all do. They're all in. They're all from New Zealand. So my this feeling is so about New Zealand. Look at them. Look at the, the super little one. Got uh, look at him. He's still got floopy he's all, hair. He's all grown up. Oh, look but at if that. You, if you were to go back, uh, it, this is an example of a thing where I feel like you should go back to child Hanson. <laughs> grow back. Go back to them and say, "Hey, one day you're going to grow up and like." Uh, like awkward older brother is gonna look great, and uh, like beautiful younger brother is gonna be fine too. So like, don't don't yeah. sweat it. Chew on that. Don't, don't sweat it. Everybody's fine. Everybody grows into what they're gonna grow into. That's true. And you never but, know what you're gonna grow into. You never. You know never what know what you're gonna, what grow, you're into. gonna grow into. There's no way you don't get you don't get like a, a direct message from the Lord that says, "Don't worry so much about that. You're gonna be fine. Don't worry about your dingus. You're gonna be fine. You're it, gonna be fine." It gets better. It get, you're going to grow into your dingus. Don't worry. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about the smells. We have, we'll have ways to take care of that. If you went back, if your young self mm -hmm. could see you now. Yes. With all of the thing is, it's, it's, it's hard to try and communicate to your younger self, like what exactly you are. Right. I mean, I don't think I think I would it would take an hour and a half for my younger self to even understand what I I've am. had this conversation at length <clears throat> with our friend John Syracuse, and he seems to stipulate that the hardest going to hardest part is going to be the proving that you are the you from the future. If you can prove that everything else kind of falls in place a little bit, although let's be honest, you now have a middle aged man still talking to a teenager and it's weird. But if you could, yeah. do you want to take it as red? You, 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 for whatever reason, TK reason, you are able to know that that is absolutely you from the future. I think, I think that, I think you could establish that very quickly. Don't Sir you? Houston I mean, would not accept that stipulation, but he's not on this program. The he's thing also, is also, he's a computer programmer. You know things about yourself that no one else could ever possibly know. And if you have thought about your childhood at all, you know what those things would be. You know, you walk up to somebody and say, look, I know. You, sh I know you what shake you the shoulders and you say, listen, the first time you ever committed the sin of own and you were watching soap <laughs> on ABC and you go, holy <laughs> shit. How did so you like, know that? Look, it's not that I've been watching you. It's that I am you and I know exactly how it felt that one time <laughs> or whatever. And, and now you're, you're just chasing like, the dragon, aren't you, buddy? You're yeah, 15. And and you're still chasing the dragon. <laughs> Never going to be that good again. I know what you did last summer, this but not only that, but family. like, I know how it felt. Uh, and the kid would have to be like, uh, because the thing is, you're not. Now you're you got him back also, on his heels. He's back on his heels at that point. Because you're not standing there as a, like, a, 
uh, like a five foot tall woman uh, with like a with like a white afro, you you do look <laughs> enough like yourself that you're like, look, I know I look kind of like I should be related to you, like an uncle, like a really close uncle, or like a like a missing dad or something. Yes, but it's because I'm you, and <sighs> here's another, and then your your younger self who is already into science fiction yes. or already like your imagination's like certainly pondering the possibility of these things well like you imagine you went back and you were trying to conjure conjure an orb on the way home from school you walk up to that young john you say here's your orb and you go what yeah. who even are you yeah guess what guess, guess what? what here's your orb guess what i know what you think about right now and that is that somebody should make you a three-quarter scale rolls royce silver shadow <laughs> <laughs> that because it's three quarter scale, you wouldn't need a driver's license for it. Nope, it's a loophole. <laughs> and the, and the, the seventh grader Actually, in you would be officer, like, "Sir, I'm completely the within the law." <laughs> <laughs> it was just some like richy rich idea that I had. <laughs> if I was driving around the, my neighborhood in a three quarter scale, three quarter scale Rolls Royce, that that would be perfectly normal, and everybody. Yeah, I would like it to be just a little bit smaller than that. I would like <laughs> it to be bigger than a ride at the park. With a wheel that doesn't do anything, but not too much bigger. It would be, you know, it would be appropriately scaled for me in sixth grade. Yes, so, sixth or it would be grade. built so, to to John's scale. Yeah, John's scale. Okay. Uh, if I were to say that to myself, walking home from school, trying to conjure an orb, because that's the same era. Yep. Orb conjuring era. Hundred uh, percent. Uh, that child would have said, "I never told anybody about that." Mm-hmm. And I would have said, "I know you didn't." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he would have said, "How do you know about that?" And I would say, "Look at me. Look at me." Look at me. I know everything. I know I, everything. I even remember this happening right now. Yeah. See? That's you know right. Saying? I remember this. Whoa, I remember this. Whoa, whoa. Now, now it's like I turned the I turned the camera onto the mirror. You've incepted. Ah! And so what, what are we getting at here? We're getting at what is what is the thing you try to warn them off of? Don't worry about no, your no, dingus. No. If you just if you just were to sit that uh, person down and go, look, you're just gonna be fine. Everything's you're gonna, gonna be, be fine. fine. But here's the thing, like because I was riding my Vespa the other day. Yeah, I saw. And I realized that as I'm riding it around, I was like, I've had this Vespa since I was 15. And then I was like, and that's like 10 years. Did I've you, like, when you were in your, uh, your, your by years, did, did you just keep it at your mom's house? Hmm. Over the years, it's been everywhere. Okay. Uh, I, I left it in Alaska. And then when my folks or when, when my mom moved to Seattle, I brought it down. I rode it around Seattle for a while. And then it kind of like, Quit working, and I put it under the stairs at her house okay. in the basement. And then it got covered with blankets, and then other things got stacked on top of it. And for a while, it lived down there under a pile of guitar cases. And I knew it was there, but we were like, it, we were spending all our time playing guitar. And then I pulled it out and got it running again. And then I bought my own house, and then it was running for a while. We had we had many great years together here, and then it stopped running again. You know, it's like I'm not a great maintainer of my things Mm -hmm. so when something like runs out of gas or gets a flat tire yes i generally throw a blanket over it (laughs) boy i don't know how that's gonna get fixed anyway moving on uh but the vespa and i have you know we have lived many many lives together in alaska and washington 34 years it turns out my goodness that's amazing because i am almost 50 years old Mm. And I was like, 34 years I've had this Vespa. Like, I know all kinds of people who are not even that old. Yeah. Uh, And so I was trying to think, how would I say to the 15-year-old that that first bought this Vespa, like, if I rode up to him through the mists of time, 
on this thing like what if you showed up in a full-size rolls royce that'd be hard to refute said hey ricky schroeder look this is it this is what it turns into but like the vespa looks like shit now it's got rust on it like i beat it up over the years but it's still running yep and i'm still running you're still running john hitting 50 still running still running still running running and uh and what would that younger self say that younger self would not never occurred to me at 15, that I would still have that Vespa at 50, yes. and that I would have taken such poor sh- care of it. Yes. And to just be like, look, this is it. I'm I'm here to tell you, like, you never bought like a really nice Vespa. You just kept this one and managed to keep it running. And things aren't bad. Hmm. Things aren't bad. Like, you're not a senator, hmm. but that's cool. Oh, man. That's rough. Like, you're fine. It ends up being fine. Think how and things they, would be different if you always knew you wouldn't be a senator. Or the chief of the CIA. Imagine how how differently you would have conducted yourself. The line between loser and okay mm. was so there were so many things that were on the wrong side of that line. Because you start out with such a deficit, you start out so far behind, you feel like you need to get some really big points on the board to just even be normal. Well, and it's so confusing because I mean, at least the the way that I grew up. There were so many perfectly fine, reasonable jobs and and outcomes that I was either taught were not enough or determined were not enough. So whole swaths of being a being a perfectly fine, valid human being, I just eliminated from contention because, well, it's not like I could, you know, I don't know what, drive a truck for a living. And it's like driving a truck for a living is a perfectly great job. And frankly, I would have been great at it. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that life would have been a lot better if I had just spent some some years driving a truck, right? Yes. It's like very, very up, right up what I should have done for, for, for a period. But I could not, I couldn't have conceived of it at that age. And to go and say like, you never got rich. You're not that important. You are fine though. Uh, boy, it, mm-hmm. That would be that would be the hardest pill. But your conception of fine teen. at that yeah. age, it would be really hard to sell. You know? Yeah, because it's like you never got married. That, but you're fine. And I would be like, I never got married, but I'm fine. All right. But you're not, you know. But you're. It's not like you didn't get married and you live in a house on the hill with your dead mother either. Mm. You're oh. like you're, you're in the world, <laughs> right? You're like a, you're you're a member of the world. And it's, it's good. A, you used to live on a hill with your live mother. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, your mom's still alive, so that's not applicable. <laughs> She's staring down from the window. <laughs> and, and you know what? We are running a motel, but so what? <laughs> so what? I like birds. Is that a problem? <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> you want to keep going? Uh, what, how, what time are we? <sighs> 5811. I don't okay, know. Okay, okay, listen. You got places to be. All right, listen. We've got to make this real quick. Yeah. It's like, um, okay, first of all, uh, now, with that said, well, I had one I had one thing to say about this, which is I still feel like the single hardest thing to talk somebody out of for any number of reasons is social anxiety. I think there are all kinds of messages that if you coded it right, you could pass on to somebody, but really it's still a middle-aged guy's advice. I think one of the hardest things is social anxiety, which a lot of people 
suffer from in some form or another. I'm realizing how many people have some form. It's sort of, it's sort of like you talking about like, um, uh, what's the phrase you use? Whether you're a extrovert or introvert. I think there's a oh, surprising yeah, yeah. number of people that manifest some version of social anxiety in some way or other. I do not have a single fucking thing that I could say to young me that would save that one. I think that might be one of the hardest ones. And it's a thing. It's a thing that you see all the time. It just just like people trying to talk about other people's depression, oh. where the solutions Stay safe. that other <laughs> the solutions that other people offer to whatever various permutations of social anxiety you may or may not have. Those solutions, those proffered solutions, are useless. Mm-hmm. They don't take anything into account. That anything useful ignores into the account. basic reality of what the thing <laughs> is. Exactly, and. And uh, that's something that I've really had to continue to learn and learn and learn and learn over and over because you yeah. find there are there are social anxieties you hadn't considered. They debilitate people in ways that you hadn't imagined. And the world is sympathetic or not, depending on where you're standing in the world. They have effects that can be invisible or weird. The and effects, I mean, when things are, when the effects of something are, are invisible or to you irrational, it's very difficult. You look at something and say, oh, come on, buck up. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't happen. He goes, yeah, I know it's crazy. That's the problem is I know what I'm feeling is wrong. Right, right. It's true and for to all say, those things. And to say like, look, you've been through this a bunch of times because the sensible <clears> thing, even if you, even if you are aware of it at a deep level to say like you've done this a lot and every time you know it turns out okay mm-hmm. so you can do it this time and be assured that it will turn out okay that still doesn't help nope doesn't and get uh, at that basic that basic feeling that if there's a feeling you have that is the default background hum of your life it is your life you know right. whatever that whatever that overriding feeling is that you have lacking any other intervention there's this, your default state will be this and that you can't talk somebody out of their default state or just give them a little chuck on the shoulder. Well, I've, I've, you know, you, you arrived at a place when you were like realized that you were fully an adult, that you decided, oh, you know what? These things that I don't like to do, I'm just not going to do anymore. And you, a lot of the things that caused you anxiety, you just decided that you weren't going to do them. It's, it's, it's difficult to work hard and not do known good things in the pursuit of something you feel like you have to do that's not actually a good thing. Yeah, right. I mean, you started to say no to things that everybody was like, what? You can't say no to that. That's you, have to answer whole... all, you have to answer all your email today. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> and the thing is, I'm still, I'm still wrestling with it because I still say yes to things <laughs> that I have no interest in doing and that will cause me yeah, pain. But you're an adventurer. You're different from me. You're an adventurous person. Well, that, and that is... Uh, we, you know, we are different in that respect, but there are a lot, I mean, I, I had a thing earlier this year, I think you and I might've even oh, talked yeah, about we it. did. And, and it they was, got, my they mo- offered you the thing yeah. and you were going to prep and do all the stuff. Yes. And, and it was it all was, presented as like a big favor to you. And my mom did a similar thing to you in her life. She, when she retired from work, she said she, she, and she retired pretty, pretty young, I think. By today's days. standards. By today's <laughs> standards, right? She was like 65 or something. And she said, I'm not ever going to dress like anybody else wants. You know, I'm not going to dress for anybody else anymore. And I'm not going to go do anything. I'm not going to do things that I don't want to do. I'm not going to go to people's cocktail parties just because 
they are my neighbors and they invited me to their party. I don't want to go to the party. I like you. I see you all the time. I'm fi- we're fine with that. I don't want to go to a party. And my my she, not coming to your cocktail party is not a reflection of our relationship. That's right. I'll see you tomorrow. We're good. And I, you know what? Any of your friends that you think I should meet, I just don't want to meet them. And I'm fine with that. And please, you be fine with it. And she's never been happier. She's lived the last 20 years of her life just like absolutely the happiest person. She's a I model. Know. She's a model in so many ways, really, honestly. But, she, but she's the one that said to me, like, why are you agreeing to do this thing? It's already causing you problems. And I was like, ah, I got to do it. Why are you it. even considering doing this thing you clearly <laughs> don't want to do? She was like, you just tell them no. And I was like, but, you know, mm. if I tell them no, it'll make them sad. And, you know, and what if I, uh, what if. And maybe they won't ask you again. Yeah, or, you know, in my thing, the adventurer thing is like, what if this turns into something that I couldn't have imagined? What if this, what if I end up leaving this event and getting into a sleigh and it takes me to the North Pole and I, and it turns out I'm Santa and I was all along. Oh my gosh. And she's like. You you hate to leave that behind. I know. And she's like, you wouldn't even like being Santa. She's very wise. Oh, wow. I wouldn't like being Santa. You're so right. I mean, parts of being Santa would be cool. But it's a lot of responsibility. I mean, I don't think, I think probably the, you know, the. The OSHA issues are probably kind of minimal there. <laughs> but you're responsible for so many the human rights, not happiness. elf rights. Well, that and that's the other thing, right? Yeah. I mean, who can who I mean, elves are elves I bet are they're I bet a, they're hard to deal with. I'll bet they're fucking super horny. Well, I, bet, I, I bet those elves are just fucking they're just fucking everything in that place. It's the it's a it's the anime problem, right? It's like or the, the what'd you call it? The Olympic uh, village problem? Oh, the Imagine Olympic being in an village elf village. Problem. You work your work all day basically as a slave labor making toys. At night you're going to do some finger banging. Well, but this is the thing between elves that's fine, but what happens what happens if Santa gets involved? Oh no. Right? Oh no. See? Cuz you think you would would you be tempted? Would you feel I, like is, I mean, yeah. the laws are probably pretty lax up there. I don't know what our advertisers are going to think about no. this, but you know, if you're Santa, the law you're the law. You're the law. <laughs> In the North Pole, and so so, what happens then? You know, like do the do the elves do the elves call him Santa? They do, but see, we watched Adam's Family Values last night, and I felt uncomfortable about how they were trying to set up Uncle Fester with the new nanny. That's nothing compared to the shit Santa could get away with. Of course, that that giant belt buckle gets undone. Oh man, the elves are going to scatter. The name Santa is just an anagram for for Daddy. Uh, mm. Santa Daddy.